I am continuing a sermon series that Tom started uh, called Restless, and the topic of this sermon is called I Hate Conflict. And so um, the scope of conflict in our life is very broad. I know um, we all have conflict with other people, right? There's others in our lives, a coworker, a boss, an employee, or a customer, and they bring conflict in our lives. It could be with a friend or an enemy or the deadly combo, the frenemy. We have conflict um, with a spouse, a parent, or a sibling, probably never in-laws in our family, but we have conflict in in these relationships in our lives. We have conflict in society with groups of people, people that gather around political ideas and social ideas and and different ideologies than than ours. We have conflict with God where it begins with questions like, where are you, God? Why is this happening? How much longer? We have conflict with ourselves uh, and questions of, can I forgive myself? Can I move on from this? What decision do I make? What will I amount to? And I thought with this, this broad category that we're talking about this morning, conflict. It's, it's so big and so vast. I wanted just to maybe just jump in and, and, and zero into Here's a very specific example. Our good friend, Tim Thompson, has agreed to be transparent with some of the conflicts brought to his attention by a few loving, well-meaning church attenders over the years. So this is our version of mean tweets, if you've watched the, the Kimmel show. But Tim Thompson is going to read to you some of the feedback he's received from our SOCC bulletin tear-offs over the years. Great music. Finally, some songs we know. Well, you're welcome. Tim sings so loud. Why even sing as a congregation? That's the one thing I don't care for. Otherwise, I love SOCC. Well, I'm not for everyone. Pray for piano player slash song leader. Pray he becomes humble enough to set his volume down. His amazing talent, thank you, is not why we come. Well, I can always use your prayers. This is a church not a burlesque house. How about finding a drummer who knows the difference? All my best drummers come from burlesque houses. What can I say? Please tell Tim Thompson he ruined Easter for me. I got nothing. Collectively, your response was perfect. I love the combination of the laughter and the, oh, yeah. Um, No, we actually had to convince Tim to do that, hoping that uh, we thought it would be a cathartic experience for him to just, to get some of that out there. He wasn't really sure he wanted to, um, but uh, we know why he sings Taylor Swift, Shake It Off, nonstop. Shake it off. Um, The disclaimer here this morning, as I mentioned, conflict, the topic is really broad. Um, the, uh, our problems within ourselves, with others, with God and society, um, there's a wide range. And I know in this room, there is a variety of pain and struggle and wounds. Um, and I fear that what I might say in the next 20 minutes might seem to tri- might trivialize or miss um, in- engaging you where you're at in the conflict that you carry in here. But I ask for grace as you filter this message through your life and your experiences. 
And in the end, if there's any issues with this morning's message, it can be addressed to Tim Thompson via your bulletin note there. As you th- oh, we actually collected those. You can do it on your envelopes in front of you. You have more room to elaborate. Um, yeah, the... Um, so as a culture, we hear conflict addressed in many ways. Um, we've worked in just common sayings into our everyday language that address the conflicts that we have uh, with, with other people or with, with, um, with groups of people or with, with God. We say things like, oh, it was a blessing in disguise. Uh, or sometimes I thank God for un- unanswered prayers. I went through like a 10-minute Garth Brooks phase in high school, so I know that. Everything happens for a reason. What doesn't kill us makes us stronger. You have to choose your battles. This is not a hill that I'm going to die on. To deeper perspectives where people have spoken more profound ways addressing the reality of conflict in our life. Um, Look at this quote. Helen Keller said, Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through the experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, ambition inspired, and success achieved. Man must evolve for all human conflict, a method which, reject, which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love, Martin Luther King Jr. And perhaps like me, you've placed your hope in the would-be prophets who've uttered words like, if there was a problem, yo, I'll solve it. Check out the hook while my DJ revolves it. We did check out the hook, Vanilla, and you've done nothing to solve our problems. All right, so that's not really so profound, but I want to throw that. You should have seen the 8 o'clock service respond to that one. Just tumbleweeds just flying through here. Um, Before we we take a, a look at these concepts, I believe as followers of Jesus that we have to give consideration to every conflict in our life through the lens of what did Jesus teach about the kingdom of God. In the New Testament Gospels, over 53 times, Jesus refers to, mostly on the lips of Jesus, it refers to the kingdom of God that Jesus would teach about. In the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven. It's synonym 32 times in that one Gospel alone. And so I want to look for a moment about what that means and what do we think of when we talk about the kingdom of God. Because the, king, the kingdom of God is simply this. When Jesus would teach about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, he's talking about God getting his way in our lives and our families and our community and our world. God looking at his creation and his purposes and saying, getting his way in our lives, in our families, in our community, in our world. I love the way that Gregory Boyd states it. The kingdom of God is a beautiful revolution marked by the radical life, love, servanthood, and humility of Jesus. It stands in stark contrast to the values and ways of the world. And I start here because I think when we fail as followers of Jesus to acknowledge that the kingdom of God is here among us, and we fail to pray as Jesus taught us to, Heavenly Father, your will be done on earth here as it is in heaven. We have the tendency to engage conflict in our lives with the same values in the same ways that the rest of the world does. And we fail to live a life that reflects the love, servanthood, and humility of Jesus. So in opposition to the ways of the world, in the ways, the, the, those ways of thinking, how can we put on display the way of Jesus as we manage conflict in our lives? And so of the, any, the many aspects, I want to just talk about two of them this morning. The first one is about perspective. It's about a way we think about conflict. And it's, called, uh, it's a redeeming perspective, having a redeeming perspective on our conflict. And there's a thing that's in us that often wants life to be conflict-free. 
isn't there. If you've ever just had a thought of, I wish it would just go away. I wish I could just erase the conflict in my life. I don't want it to be there. And perhaps you fought this fight and realized, and realized the futility of it. The reality is, is that conflict won't go away. It may change in seasons of life, but its presence is constant. And Jesus said this. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. When Jesus invites us to follow him, conflict is implied. He doesn't say, hey, come and follow me and, you know, bring your iPad along so you don't get bored along the way. He says, take up your cross and follow me. Conflict is implied on the front end of that invitation. Jesus is inviting you and I into a counterintuitive way of life. When he says, I came to give you life and give you life more abundantly, he isn't talking about a life of comfort. He's talking about a life of meaning, a life of meaning in the kingdom of God. He's calling us to the challenge of following him, a challenge that's so purposeful and hopeful that suffering and sacrifice that we might encounter along the way can bring something meaningful into our lives. And that only happens when we can have a redeeming perspective on our conflict. If we think of Jesus as a product that promises a, com a comfortable life, we're always going to be disappointed in God, and we're always going to feel like God is letting us down. But the problem isn't that God isn't doing what he promised. The problem is that we misunderstand what Jesus meant by an abundant life, which he shows us as he teaches on the kingdom of God. So when I talk about redeeming perspective, here's a couple of examples. Uh, one in scripture comes from the life of Joseph. Maybe you're familiar with the story of Joseph from the Old Testament. We see the, the span of, of Joseph's years in his life in these incredible ups and downs that he experienced from a young boy who had a dream that was an incredibly amazing experience about what God revealed, where God revealed what he was going to do through Joseph in his life, only to share that dream with his brothers who were jealous and ended up leaving him for dead. And through this, this negative thing, all of a sudden hope comes back in because he's rescued, but then he's sold into slavery. And in his years in slavery, he actually, he actually rises to become the, the main servant for Potiphar, one of the most powerful men in all of Egypt. And things are going really well for Joseph. And then Potiphar's wife accuses Joseph unjustly, and Joseph gets sent to prison. And through ups and downs, and the years go by, Joseph has a life that has been full of chapters of conflict. And when he gets to the end of his life, he, he gets to this point where he has this tremendous power and influence in the end and saves an untold amount of lives. And he looks back when he gets to look at his brothers where this entire storyline started of, of being betrayed and thrown in, in, in a ditch and left to die. And he looks at them with mercy and he says, you intended to harm me. But God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph made the choice to, to choose a redeeming perspective on all of the negative in his life. He had plenty to be bitter for. He had plenty to remain a victim about if he chose to. But he chose a redeeming perspective. And then maybe he wouldn't say, I would do it all over again. Maybe he wouldn't. But he would still recognize that there was good that came out of it and that God was able to make something good out of something 
awful. More recently in culture, Bishop Desmond Tutu was put in charge of the commission to bring healing to his nation after the atrocities of apartheid in South Africa. When asked about who should serve on the commission, uh, the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, he said that he wanted victims. He said those who've been raped, lost family members, and their houses burned to the ground. But then he said this, he said, but they cannot have stayed victims. If they serve, they must be people who have forgiven their oppressors. These people will be the wounded healers of South Africa. Because of this, choosing this redeeming perspective on their suffering, these people were invited to bring hope and future out of something awful from their past. And, to, and, and today, in just small, everyday, practical ways, I see how this plays out, the small principle plays out uh, in the lives with our, some of our students in our college and young adult ministry. We have a, uh, a life coaching network that, that we offer where we try to connect uh, college, young adult students who want a, a life coach or a mentor, connect them with a person who's a little bit further down the road in life and who can listen to them, encourage them, advise them, challenge them. Um, and one of the people who done, has done this so well is a friend of mine named Carrie. And Carrie, I, I've got to partner with in ministry here for years, and, and he has mentored, discipled uh, so many young men over the past few years through the season of, of much of, many of them through their college and young adult, that season of life. And it's when you see the relationships that he's built with these guys, it's not for the, the four years of an undergraduate degree. These are lifetime friendships that these guys have, have formed with Carrie because of how meaningful this, the role he's played in, in their lives. And many of them even had him officiate their weddings and, and so on. And I think one of the reasons for this, and one common thing I notice, is that he mentors and he, he disciples the people that, that God brings to him. He always helps them understand their problems and their conflicts and their struggles as opportunities. He always helps them, in light of everything that's going on, understand and find a redeeming perspective. How God can use this struggle or this adversity to help you become better in life and how you can use this experience to bless other people. And these stories over and over again, that redeeming perspective, that ability to turn a problem into an opportunity has been constant. A redeeming perspective, it does not remove conflict from our lives, but it gives us hope to find meaning in it. And when that happens, we can better understand how we can participate in the beautiful revolution that is the kingdom of God. Um, the second thing I want to talk about is a revolutionary action. The, the, the redeeming perspective is a way of thinking about the conflict in our lives. Action, I want to talk about specifically in the arena of personal relationships. Again, I can't address all of the categories that this, this can be in, but most likely in part of our lives, um, there is conflict within our relationships. And not all conflict, while it's not going to go away, not all of it has to remain. Um, some of you... Um, or well, let me ask you this question, when it, as it pertains to relational conflict. What causes the quarrels and fights among you? Your quarrels, your fights, what causes it? Now, internalize this, please. Don't point fingers to the person sitting next to you, right? Don't name names. What causes the quarrels and fights among you? For some, the answer is waiting tomorrow morning when you go back to work. Or waiting in the classroom. But some of you may be thinking, I don't have enough time to answer that question. But here's, let's look at what James has to say about this. In the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, he asks 
God's people this question. What causes the quarrels and fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. James says the cause of the quarrels and fights is you not getting what you want. You aren't getting what you want. It's an incredibly powerful thing to do and to say in the midst of a fight when you understand where all the blame goes and you already know what's right and your perspective is clearly the right one and they just haven't come around yet. It's an incredibly powerful thing to take a moment and say to yourself, I'm not getting what I want. I'm not getting what I want. And I know there's a, in a relational conflict, there's a they or a them. And, and, and that as, much weight, as much as we might want to ignore this, guess what they have? They have a perspective. They have an outlook as they approach the conflict as well. If you've ever watched golf or you've ever, ever played golf, and I'm talking, well, specifically watching golf on TV, and you watch the ones that, like, these are people, people pay them money to go out and play golf, right? So these are good, good golfers. When you see them finally get to the green, the ball's on the green, they put the big clubs away, and they have, they have their putter. We always see them do. Before they hit the ball, they stand up, they get down, right? They hold up their putter, they lay on their belly, they squat, whatever, and they look at the putt. They line up their approach. This is how I'm going to approach this shot. Now, again, if you haven't changed the channel yet or started taking a nap, you continue to watch. Some, oftentimes, they will get up, they will then walk around the green to the opposite side of where that shot is. And from there, they will get down and do the same thing. They take the long walk around to the other side. They get to the other side. They're looking at the same putt. But when they get around to the other side, they know, I might see something from over here that changes the way I approach what I'm going to do over there. So here's a challenge. I remember Alan Phillips, among other people, sharing this, and it's, it's an incredible challenge, and, and I love it, because I believe it can help us on the road to reconciliation when it comes to relational conflict. When in a disagreement can you argue the other person's perspective to their satisfaction? When in a disagreement or fight, are you able to argue the other person's side to their satisfaction? A good indicator that you can't or that you don't might be if you hear things like this. That's not what I'm saying. You're not listening. Or my favorite that I often hear from my teenage son, just, never mind, never mind. It's a good indication that maybe we're not listening. Maybe we're not doing the difficult task of taking the long walk around and looking at this from another perspective. In Romans 12, Paul writes, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Let me ask you this. How far are you willing to go to be at peace with the people God has put in your life? Have you gone as far, as far as it depends on you? Have you done everything to be at peace with others? Philippians chapter 2 says this. Do nothing 
out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. God saw what we needed. He stepped in and helped. As a follower of Jesus, when was the last time you offered to serve someone? When was the last time you offered to help someone? You put all you have and all you are aside in order to serve. Now, these are only a few pattern, things that I think we can do, a few actions that we could maybe consider in dealing with relational conflict. And I realize there's, a, there's entire other categories of conflict outside of this that involve abuse and really toxic patterns of, of behavior. And I think there's a place where it's not necessarily servanthood, it's, it's boundaries and justice that need to be pursued. And I hope that the discernment can be there for us as we or maybe those we know encounter those kinds of issues. But for the common household and workplace and campus and living day in, day out, conflicts, wouldn't it be powerful for the followers of Jesus to put on display his radical love that is counter to the ways and values of this world? What would it look like in your life to reconsider your perspective on conflict? What if you found a redeeming aspect to the experiences of your past or what you're currently going through? Is it possible that changing the way you think about conflict in your life you might be a breakthrough for you? Could it possibly open the door for you to see what God can do through the difficult parts of your story in your life? And maybe this is on your own. This is pursuing counseling can be incredibly helpful with this. Maybe in exercise, there's a couple of resources uh, you can, that are available through our bookstore here. You could pursue, uh, there's a, a workbook you can go through called Freeway that is uh, about dealing with conflict from your past and being able to find that perspective of redemption to be able to move forward. There's another resource called Storyline, which, which is, a, is a, another workbook going through trying to understand and find your part in God's story that are incredibly helpful um, where there's an entire section of this, it's all about redeeming um, the negative experiences that we have in our life and understanding what God can do f- through them. Um, maybe it's more simple, maybe it's this, it, just incorporating a question into your life. How can God use this? What opportunity do I have to grow through my current conflict? Maybe in your life group, that's a question you can ask as you share stories and take prayer requests. Maybe the question can come fr- from someone to just to say, well, what What is it that God can do through this? This is awful. This is a horrible situation. But what can God teach us? How can we grow through this particular experience that we're going through? And your families, ask that question. How can this be something that can be used by God? How can we approach conflict like that in our families? Kids, ask your parents. Mom, Dad, I see you're kind of stressed. What can we we learn from this? Try that question and see what happens. What would it look like? If we reconsidered our approach to personal conflict in our lives, what would would a revolutionary act in your life look like? Think about a difficult relationship. And this week, would you take the long walk around to see the conflict, to see the struggle from their perspective in hopes that in the end, it can lend itself to taking a, a better step towards him or towards her? Can you argue their point? Can you explain their perspective to their satisfaction? And if that's a muscle that you've never exercised, it will probably be hard. And it does not imply that you agree. It doesn't imply that they are right. 
but in acknowledging their perspective, it can show that you've truly listened. And that is essential for a relationship if it's ever going to find healing and peace. Ask the question, what can I do to help? Don't profess to believe in Jesus, but refuse to follow him in this. When Jesus knew all power and authority was given to him, instead of insisting to his disciples what they could do for him, he laid his needs aside and he got down and he washed their feet. In light of that, would you be willing to say to the people in your life, what can I do to help? I think these kinds of exercises can help us grow in the radical life, love, servanthood, and humility of Jesus. And they're exercises that are counter to the ways and values of this world. And when we participate in them, we are participating in the beautiful revolution that is the kingdom of God.